Today, we're continuing uh, with our series. In fact, we're finishing it up today um, that's been entitled A Different Spirit. And we've just been looking at the, the role of the, 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 the Spirit of God that has been given to us and the way, what, what it causes to happen within us as a result. And so what does it look like to walk with a different spirit? In the first week, we looked at the, the person of Daniel and how the, the Bible says he had a beautiful spirit and how he carried the spirit of God in a, in a foreign land that was at, at many times adverse to the, the God that he served. And uh, last week, we looked just re- really through uh, Galatians 5 and what does it look like to walk by the spirit and not by the flesh, that God's put his spirit within us. And today, we're going to get get to hear from uh, a good friend of ours from Seattle, who's the pastor of Mosaic in Seattle, is the Antioch Church there, uh, and he's going to be sharing with us about uh, the friendship with the Holy Spirit and the, the nearness that God wants to have with us through the gift of the Holy Spirit that he's given us and how we're to walk in that. And so welcome with me to the stage, Andrew Bach, who's here to share with us. We're so thankful for him. He's going to be sharing in our D schools uh, this week. He's also been here before. You may recognize him. He's got a little more gray, I feel like, than last time he was here. But a couple years ago, he was uh, sharing with us at World Mandate. So you may remember him, just some of the stories of what God's doing in Seattle. But so thankful. Have you back, bro. Yeah, I, I prefer um, not gray, but silver. <laughs> and I'm, I'm trying to get my wife to call me the silver fox. It's not working. She would hate that I said that, but uh, I'm going to keep trying. Uh, my name's Andrew. As Travis said, I'm so happy uh, to be here. I love, I love this church. I really do. You, you are in good hands. I love the leadership team of this church. I love the presence of God that has been cultivated, that has been sought after in this church. Every time I come here, I, I have a personal encounter with the living God. And I, I, it's happening again this morning. And I'm just so, so thankful to be here. As Travis said, my family and I live in Seattle. I have uh, four kids, one wife, four kids. It's a joke. Um, and, uh, my kids, I've been married for about 18 years. My kids' ages are, they range from 12 to 7. I have one boy and three girls. And all of our kids were born in Seattle. We've been out there 15 years, and God's doing an amazing work there. I don't know what you think of Seattle. <laughs> uh, God's on the move in Seattle. And I, I just want to remind you that a post-Jesus culture is a pre-revival culture. So as much as you've heard that the Northwest is godless or has gone away from you know, the things of God or the Judeo-Christian tradition, uh, as much as you've heard that, let that also encourage you that we are closer than ever to a, a reviving move of God in the Northwest. And we're really beginning to see that. We have, um, for instance, gosh, we're right in, the, our church is right in the middle of the city. And we have, um, we have about 700 people that are a part of our church. And we've baptized over 100 people this year just to give you a kind of a taste for what God's doing there. Uh, just an, it's an amazing gathering of people. It's a v- very diverse in every way. Uh, just a group that I often look out at and I say, hey, there's no other reason that we would all get together um, except for Jesus. We're here for Jesus. It's just been beautiful to be there. We've been called to not just 
grow a giant church, but to be a part of planting churches. And so we have three churches in the Seattle area. I know that you guys just planted a church in Arcadia, which I'm so excited about. It just, man, it, it really begins this new sense of God's move when you're a part of, pl- of planting churches in the same region. And I'm excited for what God's going to do here as you guys continue to say yes to that call. But I, I remember, as, as Travis said, we're going to talk about friendship with the Holy Spirit. And I remember one of my favorite moments um, with the Holy Spirit was before we moved to Seattle. I was 27 or so years old and just desperate to know, like, what is God's call for my life? Anybody there? Probably like most of you are there. I like, I, I know, like, this is just where we live. We like all want to know, like, what is it that God's made me for. And, and that's where I was. I was married. I was a small business owner. I was volunteering on staff at a church, but just hadn't ever worked formally for the church. And I just was, I had tried lots of things that I just, I wasn't sure. I had thought maybe we were called the full-time ministry, but I just wasn't sure. And it came to a head. My wife was like, Andrew, like, what? Like, we have to land. Like, you're so back and forth, you know? And I was like, yeah, here's what I'm gonna do. Carrie, I'm, I'm going to go into our bedroom, I'm going to close the door, and I'm going to meet with God. And I'm not coming out until he tells me what we're supposed to do. Anybody ever done that? So this is not, like, <laughs> I was serious. Like, I'm going in there. Don't come in here, Carrie. Like, that's my wife saying, Carrie. Don't, don't, don't even come in, because I'm not coming out until God tells me like what, what we're supposed to do. You know, it's like a Saturday afternoon or something, right? So I like go in and I'm like, God, and I, I go into our bedroom, I close the door and I'm like get down on my knees, you know, and I've got a Bible right here. And I'm like, well, let's just make a prop. So here's my Bible. I've got a Bible. My Bible's right here. I'm like, all right, God, like what, what are we supposed to do? Nothing. You know, I was like, all right, all right. This might, I might be here a while. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to, like, prepare for long-suffering with God, right? So I'm like, all right, you know, I'm going to get down here. I'm down here with the Lord. And I laid here for about five minutes, and I was like, I'm so uncomfortable right now. So I got up. I got a pillow off my bed, put it on the ground. All right, I'm not, I'm serious, God. I'm not leaving until I hear from you. And I laid on the pillow, and then something happened to me that has never happened before or since, I, I suddenly, it was, like a, it was like a vision. I saw myself lying on the ground. And then really quickly, uh, I, like the, the image started to zoom out. So I like saw my house and then I saw our neighborhood and, and it got bigger and it was very quickly bigger and bigger. I'm in the sky and then it's like looking at planet earth. So I'm like seeing planet earth. And then as I... I just got completely tickled. Like, I, like something came over me. Now I know it was, it was the presence of God. I was overcome with joy. I started laughing so hard, laughing uncontrollably, could not stop, laughing loud, crying, tears and tears, hurt, my stomach hurt. I'm yelling, ah! You ever laugh that hard? I'm like hitting the ground, ah! Carrie thinks I'm like wailing, my wife. So she comes in to check on me. And I'm just like, <laughs> she's like, what? She sits on the bed and she watches me laugh. I cannot stop laughing. I'm like, just go, just go. You know, she leaves, closes the door. 
comes out. For like 10 minutes, guys, I am just undone with laughter. My stomach hurts so badly. Finally, it kind of subsided. You know, I'm sweating. I've cried. My stomach hurts. I'm sitting there. Oh, I felt so much better. And I walked outside. And my wife says, well, what did he say? And I was like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. He's with us. He's with us. Like the revelation that God is with you, that you're a friend of the Holy Spirit, is so much more important, so much more impactful, so much more powerful than some specific directional word. Some knowledge about what you're supposed to do pales in comparison to the revelation that the God who made you knows you, sees you, is, is actually with you. He's with you. He's with you. We're going to talk for a few minutes about how to walk in friendship with the God who's with us. You know, friendship with God really started in the beginning. The Bible says in Genesis 1 that God made everything. In the beginning, God, and it gives us this list, these steps of creation. God spoke it and it was and it was good. He spoke it and it was and it was good. And, but what's the pinnacle of creation? I wonder what you think. I've asked several people this question. What, like, what is it that you think in the creation story is the key moment? What's the most important moment in the story of creation? And what most people say the pinnacle is when I ask them is when God made Adam and Eve, when God created humanity in the image of God, he created them. That is, that's the pinnacle moment, but that's not, that's not the pinnacle moment of creation. Do you know what the pinnacle moment of the story is? It's the end. It's the seventh day. It's the Sabbath. The pinnacle of the creation story is when we realize that God intends to rest with creation. God intends to be present. That is a blow away. It's an absolute blow away to think about the God who made everything intended on is intending on dwelling with us. It's amazing that we see that from the beginning. But what happens, and many of you know the story, is that Adam and Eve, in relationship, in fellowship, in friendship with God, choose with their own God-given capacity to go their own way. They choose not God. They take the bait. They pursue this idea that they can be their own God. They can be just like God. They can be peers with God. And that craving to be like God or to be their own God supersedes their desire to just be with God, to be in friendship with him. And so Adam and Eve sin, and everything changes at that point. They're banished from the garden. They're banished from the presence of God. And so what happens next in the Old Testament? Where is the presence of God in the Old Testament? Where is he? Well, he's described in several different places. Most often he's described in the tabernacle or in the temple, right? There's this space, there's this specific place where God actually dwells, like the holy of holies, like the unapproachable, this space right above the cherubim of the ark, this place where the spirit of God actually dwells. He's not only there. We see him other places as well. You remember the burning bush to Moses? It says that the bush was burning, and yet it wasn't consumed. 
And God spoke to Moses from the bush. And what does he say? He says, take your shoes off. You're in the presence of God. The ground that you're standing on is holy. We also see him in the Old Testament up on the mountain. The mountain's on fire and it's scary and it's powerful and you can't even get close to it. You can't even look upon it because the presence of God is on the mountain. We see the presence of God in these unique and specific places in the Old Testament, but what about with people? In the Old Testament, we see the presence of God with specific people. Who is the presence of God typically with in the Old Testament? There's three categories. Priests, prophets, and kings. And some of you will remember this. Priests are like mediators between humanity and God. This is the primary role that they serve. The presence of God would come upon the priest so as to mediate relationship between God and humanity. Prophets in the Old Testament serve as the mouthpiece for God. They quite literally, like the way we do it now is we're like, oh, I feel like God's saying, or I think, or I sense. Not so with the Old Testament prophets. They literally were the mouthpiece of God. The presence of God came upon them and they spoke for God as his prophetic voice. So priests, prophets, and then kings. Kings were meant to model what a human filled with the presence of God could actually look like. Now, of course, we know in the Old Testament there are good kings and bad kings. There are kings where we see the modeling of carrying God's presence done well, and we see models where it's done poorly. But the intention of God for a king was not just to make decisions for the kingdom, but to actually model what it looked like to have a life, to have a life with God. But everything changed when Jesus came. When Jesus came, he came as the perfect priest, as the perfect prophet, and as the perfect king. He came to mediate relationship through his coming, his life, his death, and resurrection, to mediate relationship as the perfect priest for all of humanity. He came as the perfect prophet. He only did what he saw the Father doing. Everything that Jesus said and did was a demonstration of God the Father. He came, Jesus came, as the perfect king, the king of kings, the model, like the model human for what it looks like to be filled with the presence of God. And what Jesus said is that there's a time coming when actually the presence of God is going to be available to anyone, to everyone. It's not just the fire in the bush. It's not just the fire on the mountain. It's not just priests, prophets, and kings. It's not just me, Jesus said. It's, it's actually going to be for anyone and for everyone. And so you, if, if you are a believer in Jesus, what Jesus said is, God, if you receive, I stand at the door and knock if anyone lets me in. If you receive the love of God through the person of Jesus, if you repent from that same thing that Adam and Eve did of going our own way, trying to be our own God, if we stop, turn, and receive the love of God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus... The spirit of the living God comes to live inside of you and of me. God lives in us, Jesus said. He'll be in you and he'll be with you. And, and the Holy Spirit is not, it's not some vapor or some feeling or some power or ability. Though sometimes it can seem that way. 
The Holy Spirit is a person. He's a friend. He wants to be your friend. So what we're going to do this morning for just a few minutes, we're going to take a quick look at the life of David. We're going to look at the life of a king, a man who in the Old Testament received the presence of God and walked with the presence of God as a friend. We know from the narratives about David and from his own writings, we get a window into what was David's friendship with the Holy Spirit actually like. As we look at this, though, what we're after is, what does our friendship with the Holy Spirit look like? So let's, let's start just at the beginning of the story. Uh, this will be the longest scripture that we look at, 1 Samuel chapter 16. And this is the story of the anointing of David. And we'll start in 16 verse 1. It says this. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and he brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Wow. Two things. Two things I want to notice in this story. Really good news. First, God looks at our hearts. Man, you and I, we look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at our hearts. God sees your heart. This is good news. And you're like, no, it's not. It's not good news. 
because I'm a mess. It is good news. It's really good news. God sees your heart. Because in Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, this is really good news because God gave you a new heart. You're like, I'm a mess. I'm wicked. I'm dark. You're like, you're right. You are. I am too. And Jesus came to make a way for the darkness and the wickedness and the grossness and the immorality to be completely washed, to be cleansed, to be clean by his blood. Jesus came to give us a new heart. And so no matter how you feel today about what you've done or what you haven't done, about your accomplishments, about your alcades, about even what other people think or say about you, what matters most is your heart. God sees your heart. And if you've believed in Jesus, if you've turned and received the sacrifice that he made, then your heart is clean before God. And God's spirit is in you. It's in you. And with David, it says that God's spirit, that last verse, it says the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. From this day forward, when David is anointed in the Holy Spirit, the rest of his life, the rest of his shepherding, the rest of his battles, his running, the rest of his family, the rest of his kingship, David walked with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was with him, and so it is with you, and so it is with you. The Holy Spirit doesn't come upon us one time, that one moment where we had that one feeling and we had that one experience, and then we're just supposed to ride off of that for the rest of our life. No, no, the Holy Spirit is alive. He's in you. He's with you, and he wants to be your friend. He wants to be your friend. I don't know how you think about friendship. I don't know how many friends. Maybe you'd say, I have lots of friends. Maybe you'd say, I used to have a friend. I don't have one anymore. Maybe you'd say, I have a few friends. I don't know what friendship looks like for you right now. For me, I would say over the years, I've known lots and lots of people. I've had a few friends. I've only had a few friends. I wonder what you think of when you think of friendship. What is it that marks a friend? For me, if we're friends, we have to be able to rest well together. If you want to know if this person's really a friend, go on a vacation with them. Go on a vacation with somebody and see what it's like to rest with them. And if you can't actually be at total rest with the person, I wonder I wonder if it's a real friend. Another mark of friendship for me is someone that can tell me the truth. Someone that's not bothered by me looking like I have to have it all together. Someone who's not bothered by my exteriors and like what I put off my best foot forward, but someone who sees my blind spots and is willing to step into them and talk to me about them. A friend for me is someone that will tell me the truth, not someone that will just bless everything that I say. That's not a friend. A friend is someone that will say, Andrew, you're wrong. That's wrong. Stop saying that. For me, for me, that's a friend. A friend for me also is someone that goes on, on mission with me. It's not just vacations where we relax and rest together, but it's someone that we link arms with together. 
You know, Jesus talked about his disciples being friends, and the way he described it is he says, well, now, now you know all that's in my Father's heart. Now you know the mission that I'm called to, and so we're friends. Jesus connected friendship with mission, and so do I. As a follower of Jesus carrying his mission, a friend for me is someone that's on mission with me. Guys, my best friend and your best friend, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's meant to be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who wants to rest with us, just as God did on the first Sabbath. He actually, Emmanuel, he actually wants to just be at rest with you, just to be with you. The Holy Spirit, he loves to convict you. He loves it. Not to bring shame, not to bring like some kind of heavy guilt or downcastness. No, he loves to convict you because he loves to make you better. He can see who God made you to be. And he's not okay with us just sitting in our sin and hiding. He loves to tell us the truth, to convict us so that we can grow into who God's made us to be. The Holy Spirit, oh, he loves to go on mission. He loves it. Oh, if you'll let him, he'll just all the time be like, go talk to that person. Go pray for them. Go on that mission trip. Go to church this morning. Like, he just loves it. He loves to convict us into the mission that he has for us because he loves the mission and he loves being on mission with us. The Holy Spirit is trying to cultivate a friendship with us. The question for you this morning is like, are you trying to cultivate a friendship with him? Are you trying to be a friend to him? He's in you. He's with you. He wants to be friends with you. So how did David cultivate a friendship with God? In every role, as a shepherd, as a warrior, as a king, as a friend, as a husband, as a father, we find David pursuing friendship with God. And I want to just show you a few ways quickly. We're going to look at some Psalms, and then we'll pull back to the narrative at the end. We're going to look at the Psalms where we get this window into how David felt about the Spirit of God. So we'll start with Psalm 26, verses 6 through 8. This way of friendship that David demonstrates with the Holy Spirit. In Psalm 26, verse 6, he says this, I wash my hands in innocence. I go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud, telling all your wondrous deeds, O Lord. I love the habitation of your house, the place where your glory dwells. David made a practice of thanking God. The picture we're given here is this is just another day. This is just a normal day for David, and he is walking around the altar of God, proclaiming out loud thanks to God. He's giving thanks to God. Are we giving thanks to the Holy Spirit? Are we thanking our best friend who's with us? You know, James 1 says that every good thing in my life is a gift from God. Everything. There's not a good thing in my life that I earned, that I deserved, that some other person gave me. No, all of it, according to James, is a gift from God. And the invitation to cultivate friendship with the Holy Spirit is actually to take the time to give thanks. To give thanks. Now, I know I just did Thanksgiving, so maybe you're like, yeah, we did this. Like, I get it. 
Whoa. Because we have to remember that giving thanks is meant to be a regular part of our friendship with the Holy Spirit. All the time, out loud, thanking him for who he is and for what he's done. And I just hear kind of pro tip, thanks is something we give, not something we feel. Wait a minute. We're meant to give thanks whether we feel thankful or not. If you're waiting to feel thankful before you give thanks, you might be waiting a long time. We're people who, who give thanks. It's a, it's a sacrifice of thanksgiving that we offer to the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, it cultivates. It's like another part in the psalm says, like entering his gates happens through thanksgiving. When we give thanks to the Holy Spirit, it's like opening the door to intimacy with God. It's not a one-time thing or a once-a-year thing or a thing that we do when we feel like it. It's a regular practice. If you're like, man, I, I used to have a great personal time with God, but it's gone dry, get on your knees and speak out as many things to him that you're thankful for as you possibly can. Stay there until he meets with you. You'll find him. You'll find him there. I used to go, I used to go on really long runs. I used to love to run. Not really. My wife loved to run, and so I would run also. I'd go on these really long runs, and no music or anything else to do, and you kind of run out of stuff to do. And one of the things I would do when I would run is I would just go back through my own memory of my own life, and I would start as early as I could. And I would just out loud as I'm running, thank God for every good thing I could think of that's ever happened in my life. Anything and everything good that I've ever received, I just begin to thank God. And guys, it doesn't take very long. You begin to thank God. You begin to realize how, how good God really is. And his goodness, his goodness opens up this doorway to intimacy with the Holy Spirit. So David thanked the Holy Spirit. Another thing that David did is he confessed to the Holy Spirit. He did it all the time. We'll read in Psalm 51. David writes this. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. God, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. David wasn't a perfect person by any means. He was a repentant person. He longed fellowship with the Holy Spirit so much, and he knew that his sin, his sin grieved the Holy Spirit. That's what sin does. It grieves him. It grieves our friend. And so our invitation from our friend is to offer confession to him, to just tell him, he, guys, he knows he knows all of it. He sees your heart. He knows every way that you're tempted and every way that you've gone away from his perfect plan and purpose for you. But his invitation isn't just to stay away and fix it and then come back presentable. That's not what a good friend does. A good friend welcomes us back just as we are. And the Holy Spirit welcomes us back just as we are. And he invites us to give it to him. He can handle it. He can carry it. 
He loves it when we confess our sin to him because all it does, guys, all it does when we confess our sin to him is it exalts the work of Jesus. That's all it does. It exalts the work of Jesus who the Holy Spirit loves. So the Holy Spirit's like, oh, tell me, tell me more. Tell me more about that. Tell me the details of what you thought. Tell me the details of what you did. Because as, as I listen to you, all I'm thinking about is Jesus and who he is and what he did and that he paid for all of it down to the detail. Oh, you did it again? Tell me again. Tell me about it again. Let's talk about it again. Let's talk about the goodness and the grace of Jesus. And there's intimacy in our friendship with the Holy Spirit that happens as we simply confess to him. Let us always be in the habit of talking with the living God, our best friend, about our sin. Third, we see David honoring the Holy Spirit's word. In Psalm 19, is, he does it all over, but in Psalm 19, he writes it this way. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And I just, I wonder if he really felt like that was true. I wonder if he did. Or if he was declaring what he believed to be true. Was he honoring the word of God in season and out of season? Guys, honoring the word of God cultivates friendship with the Holy Spirit. I, you know, the last couple of years, I just, I'm back to the book. You know, even like the big, thick, heavy one. I'm into it. Forget the phone. Forget it. It's not just another app on my phone. It's not. It's a book. It has, I'm, not, I'm kind of kidding, right? It has like weight to it. And for me, I just, I love carrying around his word. I love cherishing his word. I love honoring his word when I don't feel like it. Honoring the word of God means when I disagree with something I find in here, his word is right and I'm wrong. When I don't understand something I find in here, there's more revelation that is right and true that I just don't have yet. I'm a man, and I know you've, seen this illustration before, but I'm a man called to live under his word. I'm under the authority of his word. And when I honor him in that way, in season and out of season, oh, our, our friendship is cultivated because we're centered. Our friendship is centered around his word. He loves it when I, with my mouth, will declare, when I, with my life, will submit under his word. So we see David thanking the Holy Spirit, confessing to the Holy Spirit, honoring the word of the Holy Spirit. There's just, there's one more, there's one more aspect to this. There's one more aspect to this friendship of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I, I was, uh, in preparing for this, this is an old book, but anybody heard of the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell? Anybody familiar with that? It was really hot for like a few years and I find most young people have never heard of it. But it was this book that talked about how do you become an outlier at something? How do you become great at something? And the premise of the book is that if you want to become a master at something, um, you have to do it for 10,000 hours. And if you do it for 10,000 hours, you become set apart from anyone and everyone else in that thing. Like you become an outlier, you become a master 
in that thing. So I was like, wow, that's interesting. Um, if you do something for like an hour a day, it takes about 20 years to hit 10,000 hours, right? So think about that. So what do you want to become a master at? What do you want to become a master at? You know what I want to become a master at? Friendship with the Holy Spirit. Oh, what else could, what else could be better? I'm really good at my friendship with the Holy Spirit. How'd, how'd you like to be known for that? I, oh, I'm a, I've spent hours and hours thanking him, hours confessing to him, hours honoring his word, hours with him. And when, when we cultivate friendship with the Holy Spirit, we get to experience the last, the last aspect, the last thing that we see David doing. It's a famous story in 1 Samuel 30. I'll just kind of paint the story and then I'll show you one scripture from it. But in 1 Samuel 30, David is ruling an army and he's having lots of victories and he hasn't quite become king yet. And in 1 Samuel 30, he leads his men off into a battle. And while they are off in battle, another enemy comes and raids the camp that they left. And the camp that they left had all of their wives and all of their children and all of their goods. And so while they're gone fighting, unbeknownst to them, the enemy comes and kidnaps all of their wives and children, takes all of their goods, and burns everything else that's left. And so in 1 Samuel 30, David and his men come back from the war that they'd been fighting to their camp. And what they find is their wives are gone, their children are gone, all of their goods are stolen and everything's burning. And in 1 Samuel 30, we read this. It says, David was, he was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him. Because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. And this little moment. This, this story of certainly one of David's lowest moments in his life. This low moment of leadership, this moment of obvious grief for his own wife and children being stolen, but also the wives and children of all of his men. The failure of his going at that time and not staying to protect their family and their goods. And not only all of that internally, but all of his men pointing to him and some of them saying, we should stone him. We should kill him. He's a failure. That's like, well, what does he do? What does he do? And, and, and all we get is this one line. This one line, it says, David went and he strengthened himself in the Lord. He went, he went to the place that he'd gone before, communion with his best friend. He went to talk with the, the only one that he knew could help him and restore him and give him the strength and the wisdom and the vision and the strategy for what to do next. And after this, it says he strengthened himself and he came back and he put on the ephod representing like he is representing what God is saying. And then he said, let's go get, let's go get our wives and our children. And they went and they recovered. They recovered everything. But what about you and I in our, in our friendship with God? Like, what will you do 
in your moment of distress. The Bible is honest enough to tell us that all of us will experience distress. No one's exempt. Following Jesus does not mean no pain, no pointing fingers, no persecution, no misunderstandings, no loss. Actually, if anything, uh, following Jesus means, it actually means more. (laughs) It means more of that. Every one of us, every one of us have had some experience with this type of a moment. This moment where you, you just feel alone and lost and you, you don't know, you don't know what to do. And, and honestly, if you're here and you haven't experienced that moment yet, you're just not old enough. It's coming. It's a guarantee in this life. The question isn't, will you experience distress? The question is, like, what will you do when you experience it? And what David did is he strengthened himself. What do I imagine that to be? I imagine that to be David expressing great lament, pouring out the pain, pouring out the grief, grieving with God, and then listening to his friend's response. God, what do we do now? What do we do now? This wasn't the first time that he'd pursued this type of friendship. It had come after a foundation of meeting with his friend in this way. In his moment of distress, he was ready to be strengthened in God. How about you? How about you? Now, I was thinking about like, oh, what's a, what's a story of distress where I met with God? You know, and honestly, I, I had a hard time picking which one. I was like, you get to be 42, and man, I've had, I've had a few. I've had a few. So I, I thought I'd share one that's very recent. It has to do with our church. Our church is, man, it's awesome. God's doing great things. And long story short, we, we felt called oh, about six months ago to a new project. It was called the Jesus Loves Everyone Project. And this project was going to involve all sorts of things. It had some building project stuff in it. It had church planting in it. It had some creative ministry ideas within it, all under the banner of Jesus Loves Everyone. And so we put together this vision, we put together this campaign, and we presented it to our church. And we needed to raise $1 million for the Jesus Loves Everyone project. And man, I was gearing up for this. I was like, all right, this is probably going to take like six months to a year, but I believe God's calling us to it and he's going to do it. Well, you know what? In four weeks, four weeks, we raised over a million dollars for the Jesus Loves Everyone project. And I was like, come on. And I honestly, I was so happy, guys. Like I had like extra, I'm like fist bumping everybody, you know, like just so ha- happy at home, just like ha- just happy, you know, God's good. This is all the time. This is so great. And then, <laughs> Just a few weeks after we raised over a million dollars, I was in a meeting and our executive pastor interrupted the meeting. He walked in and he said, Andrew, he was kind of pale faced and sweating. And he was like, Andrew, I need to talk to you right now. And so he never does that. I I left the meeting and we went outside and he said, Andrew, I just found out Mosaic got $466,000 stolen. We lost it. 
it's gone. And he began to explain to me this story of a cyber attack and a fraudulent actor and our general contractor and a third-party consultant and all these details. And the bottom line was we had $466,000 stolen. Guys, I, I felt like I felt like such a failure. I felt like I got kicked in the guts. I was embarrassed. I mean, I didn't know what to do. What do you think I did? This is what I did. <laughs> God, what do we do? What do we do? Back on the ground, just like I was at 27 years old. I've, I've gotten used to that posture, that place of not knowing where else to go. And so getting in a place by myself and crying out my laments to God and posturing myself to listen, God, what do we do now? How do we communicate this? What do we do about the project? In the first week, I got in touch with a, what's called a crisis consultant. This is a professional who deals with crisis with churches. And this person and I had a 20-minute phone call, and this crisis consultant, this is what he said, hey, who knows that this has happened? And I said, well, so far, it's just our leadership team and some of our staff. And he said, okay, good. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell your church. He was like, do you guys have a reserve? I was like, yeah, we have a reserve. He's like, just use that, do the project, and then slowly rebuild your reserve and don't ever tell your church. So icky. I mean, I was like, wait, are you serious right now? This is a professional, very well-known crisis consultant, and I hope you're not here. I actually don't know what city he lived in, but I was like, I was like, hey, I was like, hey, thanks so much. We're actually not going to do that because we're Christians. Like, this is why the church has a bad name in America. Like, anyway, right? I was like, no, no thanks, right? No thanks. Guys, in your moment of distress, it's, it's actually not going to be the professional crisis consultant. It's not going to be a good idea. It's not going to be like your plan that's going to save the day. It's going to be your best friend, the Holy Spirit, who has wisdom, comfort, revelation, everything that you need. So we didn't go with the crisis consultant's advice. We went with the Holy Spirit's advice, which was to tell everybody. We told our whole church multiple times, video form, in-person meetings, one-on-one. We told them every detail. We made everything available. Come see all the books. Come see everything. And it was so painful. It went on for weeks. We were just communicating. And at the end, we said, God, well, what do we do now? And God said, just re-raise it. Just re-raise it. Oh, there's a chance we'll get something back in like two years from insurance or maybe through some legal action, but we don't have two years for the Jesus Loves Everyone project. Jesus loves everyone today. And so God was like, re, re, just re-raise it. And I remember we were with our leadership team and God spoke that word to us and I just went down. I was like, oh, no. And so we made these postcards and they were black and they looked kind of scary and, and on, on the front, they said, the enemy stole it, so we're raising it again. And we mailed them. We mailed them to everybody that had given. It was over 170 households had given to that project. We mailed it to all of them, and we just said, hey, look, guys, the enemy stole it. We're going to raise it again. Guys, in, in just the last four weeks, 
we've raised over $390,000 back from what was stolen. It's amazing. Point is this, in your greatest moment of distress, God's with you. You're not alone. He's not waiting for you to go figure it out. He's waiting for you to do what you've always done, to thank him, to confess to him, to honor his word, and then to meet with him face to face. And just, I think we have this like capturing summary slide. Do we have that? Friendship with the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Thank him. Confess to him. Honor his word. And then, guys, and then for the rest of your life, not one time, but again and again in your moments of distress, be strengthened by him. Be strengthened by his word. Will you pray with me? Yeah, Holy Spirit, I know that you have been cultivated in this family. God, I know that the leaders of this church have leaned into you. They have grown in friendship with you year over year. God, I know that you're here. I know that you're living inside every believer that's in the room this morning. Holy Spirit, I know that you're here. Holy Spirit, we want to be we want to be even better friends with you. <laughs> we want to walk with you. We want to walk thanking you and confessing openly and radically to you. We want to honor what you've said in your word. And Holy Spirit, we want to be strengthened by you. I do ask this morning, even specifically as I was praying for this morning, I just, I, I believe he wants to strengthen different ones of us who are here in specific ways, in specific ways. And I wonder if, if that's you, if you could even just whisper that, just say, here I am, God. Will you strengthen me? Will you strengthen me? I want to invite us all to, to stand together and invite the ministry team to come up as they're ready. And truly, guys, I, I, if you're here this morning, some of you are here this morning and you are, you're in that moment of distress and you're like, I, I need strength. He's here this morning and he is strengthening the hearts and the lives of believers. And so whether you stay in your seat and meet with him or, or maybe you wanna come up and receive prayer with a brother or a sister, this morning, just in these last few minutes, I believe the Holy Spirit is gonna strengthen different ones of us. So if that's you, oh, don't wait. Your best friend, your best friend has what you need and he wants to pour it out in you and on you today. So if you wanna come up and receive ministry, please come if you wanna meet with him right where you are. But let's receive strength this morning from the Holy Spirit.